0: Back in May, as news of the death of Ahmad Arbery spread, I felt like God was giving me a call to press in even deeper than ever before into my understanding of race, both within myself and the world around me. And that took a number of forms. It was conversations with friends and family. It was interaction on social media. It was writing. And it was a podcast episode, which was hard to record, even harder to put out into the world. And what I couldn't have known when I released that episode is that a few days later, I would see video of law enforcement officers killing George Floyd. And I couldn't have known how deeply that would affect me in ways that I've never experienced before. And how I began to recognize that God was doing something very important, not just within me, but within the world and within the church. Because here's the thing. Such a time as this, 2020, is a time where... A body that looks like Christ could be so encouraging, so impacting, so transformational. And what we are seeing right now is is not a body that looks like Christ, but a body divided. We are seeing division within ourselves, within the church, within the nation. And that brokenness is seeping in in such ways that we can't realize we're marinating in it. But God is calling us to something abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. For some of you, knowing that there's another episode of the podcast about race may be frustrating. But the thing is, is that the reason we can't move on is because there is something within us that we are failing to acknowledge, both individually and as a body. Church, there is something within us that we are failing to acknowledge. My friend Josh and I sit down because both of us have been trying to navigate the space of introspection and public engagement. And Josh had been on an episode with me a year ago. He has his own podcast called Let God Die, and he's working on something now that is putting him into spaces of humility and listening. We don't have answers, but what we do know is there is a God who does. So this is us sitting in and saying, God, we're listening, and we want you to do the same. You're listening to episode 45 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And yeah, I'm just humbled right now by the space that you've called um, both Josh and I too. in this moment, but also in the last few weeks and, and even beyond that, because I just really have a sense that you are doing something big and both of us desire to really be seeking you in the midst of that. And both of us are in places where we're having to <laughs> step hard into some humility, hard into pushing against our own mindsets, our own perspectives. I, I want to lift up this time and, and give it back to you um, because we, we have a loose idea of what we could talk about, but ultimately we want to find you in the midst. Um, we want to be able to communicate how we have seen and experienced you so that others who are navigating the space as well can know that it's more than just mind changes and information that you are actually present and active and powerful. And so I just pray, I just invite the spirit in. I pray that if there are things that we shouldn't say that we wouldn't, if there are things that we should, that we would step into that space. Um, But in all of this, I pray that you are glorified, that anyone hearing this will leave having a deeper sense of who you are and how deeply you love your creation all this we pray in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. So I'm, I'm excited about this episode. I'm timid about this episode. I have no idea what this episode is going to be. <laughs> um, you know, for those who have been listening to the podcast for a while, you may remember Josh and I having a conversation almost a year ago um, talking about how we have experienced God through hearing stories. Josh, at the time was uh, hosting a podcast called Let God Die and I got to be a part of that and he's involved with a lot of other things and we've stayed in touch, stayed connected and we have both been navigating um, this space since Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, Breonna Taylor of trying to understand not just what's happening um, but who God is in the midst who we are in the midst, and how we may need to confront our own understanding of the world and race and everything attached to that. And so the other night, you know, I felt like God was putting Josh in my mind just to say, hey, how would you feel about us just getting on the mics and seeing what God brings about, about this process? And Josh was ready to roll. And so here we are. I feel like the last several weeks have been uh, pretty overwhelming as
1: far as learning new things. Um, and just being blown away by how much I didn't know before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when it comes to conversations about race, being a white guy myself, it's almost as though I never needed to have conversations about mm-hmm. race, um, if that makes sense. So this was a conversation that I wanted to have with an entirely different person. I'm not I'm not saying other than you. Um, <laughs> but uh, one thing that I started to do A few weeks back, uh, it's kind of like a podcast series. I'm just calling it From Here right now. It's not an official podcast. It's quite literally, I record conversations with people in my life, mostly uh, friends who are Black who I've known for a while that we've just never had any conversations about race and wanting to dive into that space and even confront some of the reasons that I never brought up issues of race with them and, and maybe even like why they didn't bring that up with me or their other white friends. One of the things that entered the conversation last night with my friend Erica was that for myself, I think some of the hesitation has come from when it relates to the church, has come from maybe being concerned that racial identity uh, might distract from identity in Christ, and that kind of being like a concern for me. I don't want to put words in her mouth, but this is kind of like what I gathered from what she shared was that she understands that and understands that that is the mindset of a lot of people. Um, Just like when we want to be Christ focused and Christ centered, it is kind of like this thing of like, well, you don't want your identity to be wrapped up in something else to the point that it takes away from who you are in Christ. I, I kind of gathered from what she was saying that, like, if I go to one of your churches, I'm experiencing white culture. So it's kind of dismissive to say that. The church can't also have black culture, and I guess like one one correlation that I thought of was when I went to uh, went to Uganda just for a couple weeks with a cousin of mine, and we uh, went to uh, help out a pastor out there who was born and raised in in Uganda. One thing that was just really apparent to us, you know, is like when when I think God for provision here in America, that looks way 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 different than someone who lives in, you know, a a mud hut in Mm -hmm. Uganda, seeing God as provider. And even just like that simple thing, like that one aspect of God, God's provision, you know, like, I, I know that those are extreme examples because it's the other side of the world, you know, it's like, it's maybe easy to think in those terms because of the dichotomy there. But just that like their experience and their expression and their outlook uh, on the character of God is going to be different than mine, even though we might use the same terms, you know, they have some different meaning, but they still point to the character of the true God. And I I guess kind of like correlating that to even just like our experience here in America, you might have someone who has a different cultural upbringing, has had just like a different understanding of the world based on what they've experienced. So like Jesus is entirely in and through all of those things redeems those things you know and so, sometimes I think we might silence the stories of God at work in other people's lives by not allowing space to you know for expressions of their culture um, because they point to God at work in a way that we might not be able to wrap our heads around
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean that's I'm kind of like working through thoughts as, I, as I'm saying this but especially since that conversation was just last night there's still a lot of things that are kind of sticking with me that I never really thought about and one of those things that she brought up was like the bible talking I think in revelation about just like every tongue every tribe coming together in eternity and that being like she just brought up like the fact that you know it's kind of interesting to me that it's not said that all will be one tribe you know Mm -hmm. that all will be (laughs) the same, but kind of pointing to these different expressions, different experiences of God based on who we are, what we came from. And uh, I mean, I see that even Mm -hmm. in people's lives that look a lot like me, you know, like they might've had a family upbringing that was entirely different from me and experienced God's redemption of things that were meant for bad in their lives, you know, Mm -hmm. where I didn't have that same experience, but I saw God at work in different ways, you know? But yeah, so we kind of talked a lot about some of the hesitations and I guess kind of like even fears or concerns from people like myself, just being a white man in America, like not understanding things that uh, are just different, different expressions or experiences of God at work um, and how we can really uh, open up space for those things, not in a dismissive way, um, but to like acknowledge and really appreciate and, uh, you know, praise God for what he's done in a completely different way than what he may have done in our lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it makes me think of, I used to work for a ministry where part of my job was to lead groups of young adults who, instead of going to the beach for their spring break, would come to um, the East end of Richmond to serve. They may have thought it was about coming and doing projects And I quickly realized that if I were to just do that, that can end up actually doing more harm than good if they don't have a a right understanding of why they're there, the difference between helping and serving, and most importantly, a right understanding of the neighborhood that they're in and the neighbors that are here. And part of the way that I would navigate that is have spaces where we would have sessions to dive into some of these different topics. And midweek I would always have a session on race. And these groups without fail would more often than not be predominantly white. And within those groups would be a lot of folks who had never really, like you said, had to engage race, had to engage these conversations. And it was an interesting space. Uh, It was never the same any week or any year. But I remember there is one point where something that God brought to my mind hit pretty hard and has stuck with me since then. You know, we we talk about people being made in the image of God. And I know growing up that without thinking about that, what that meant is that I would visualize God as a white man <laughs> because that's the image that I am. And if I'm in the image of God, then surely that's what God would look like. And I don't know if I ever overtly said that or processed that, but I know internally that is what my understanding was. And the, and the thought that hit me was I'm, I'm looking at this group of young adults who uh, different experiences, different cultures. When, when scripture says that we were made in the image of God, it isn't that then I look up in the heavens and I see a reflection of Paul. It's that when God looks down at his creation, he sees his reflection made up of the millions and millions of people that he has created. In other words, God is so complex so beyond comprehension that it takes millions of us to capture the image of God. It's like we're, we're each individual pixel in a TV. One of us is only gonna look like one of those pixels, but all of us together create that picture. And so I think that's why we need that diversity. That's why we need to understand. I think that's why what you're saying is true, that we have this dichotomy of understanding that our identity is in Christ, yet also not dismissing the facets of our unique identities. It's this concept of how is it that you can have a truth, like we are made in the image of God, and that is our primary identity, yet that truth can end up being communicated and used in different ways. So Mm -hmm. I think how I probably have used it in the past is almost... For self-preservation, because if I can say to someone else, "No, no, no, no," like let's not focus on race. Like we're all we're all one. We're all this, you know. And so, just focus on your identity, of God. Part of that is then it protects me from having to engage race. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and yet, I've also had friends who are black who I've heard communicate. They have said to me, "You know, my identity is as a child of God." I'm. While I am a, a black man, my primary identity is that is a child of God. And I remember the first time I remember one of my friends saying that, I wasn't sure how to respond because I was used to that dismissive approach in the white community. <laughs> yeah. and, and so I've been sitting with this idea of you, we have these core truths. And yet, as people, we have the capacity to misuse, misrepresent uh, these truths. And, and that's why I think it's so important to do what, like what you're doing of almost, you're, you're putting yourself out there in some really vulnerable spaces. And so I want to ask this question. Um, you, know, you mentioned the From Here audio series that you're doing. I guess the, the question that comes to my mind is there are practical reasons why you're doing that. Where have you seen God in the midst of you entering and engaging this process?
1: One thing I don't know if this is directly answering your question. I like to not necessarily respond to questions directly, (laughs) uh, which drives some people crazy. But I like to. You like to take us on this journey. It's part of my process. So with "Like I Die" and with a lot of the communication that I do, I don't know. I feel as though the non-Christian world knows a lot of our hypocrisies. They see a lot of the truth of uh, how we're not living to what we claim to live. I don't know. To me, I feel as though there's more damage in trying to sweep things under the rug than just come out and face what people already know, Mm -hmm. um, if that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, so I feel like that's kind of been my approach. Uh, I try to always point things. um, I always have this thought of like, anytime I'm pointing a finger, I have one of my own pointing back at me. Try to keep that in mind. Just that like, anytime I'm frustrated with the church, I'm Ultimately expressing things that I recognize in myself that need to change um, and trying to keep that part of the scenario and part of the conversation, you know, not just to point fingers at, at things that I see from the outside, but also recognizing things that, uh, that God's working on my heart with. But yeah, so I, I think that's been an interesting thing to navigate. I, I had a friend today message me and it was, it was just kind of interesting. It was a weird compliment but at the same time I appreciated it but he said something like I recognize that you're treading on you know in interesting waters like with uh a lot of friends that are obviously evangelicals with the things that you've been saying Mm -hmm. um and he he said it's a little different for me saying the same things to my anarchist socialist friends (laughs) where he he was just saying like I feel like I have a lot more support but he, he was just saying like thank you for um being honest and Open and vulnerable with these things. Yeah, I feel like growing up and being uh, in youth ministry in my young twenties. I don't think it was the intention, but there were. I I feel like doubts were squashed. There wasn't a lot of space to really be honest. There were reputations to uphold, and that's something that I've thought about recently too. Is like even with some of the things that I've said recently, I'm like, man, I feel as though. If I were in a church right now that was more, I I guess you could say like evangelical, conservative, what I grew up in. Not that my current church isn't, but I feel like there is an openness to be real with our messes, like in the community that I'm in. But I had the thought that if I were still in those environments, the things that I've been working through and trying to like get conversation going with people, I feel as though there would be a whole lot of pushback and there wouldn't really be a space for that. I just sense that that would have been the case. There was a point in time when I was like in my mid-20s that it was really on my heart to like start to create space for people to engage in just kind of conversations that were not happening, that we all kind of knew that we were struggling with. I think it was just kind of like too difficult, too uncomfortable. You know, there's certain questions that if you ask, it kind of reveals that you're struggling or that you're having doubts. I think for for one, it's been really cool to hopefully create some of those spaces for people to feel like all right I can talk about things that I'm struggling with or you know I I can be honest about like my uh prejudice and racist tendencies you know and uh that I mean that's something that a couple friends of mine have modeled really well just like calling out specific things that they had done or said in the past that I was just like oh those were things that I justified and and did a lot of when I was a teenager that uh you know, rather than just like, oh, glad I don't do that anymore. Just like really felt the need to share and just say like, yeah, these are things that were totally (laughs) ignorant and asinine and like did damage, even though they weren't said to a particular person, you know, it just kind of reinforced stereotypes and prejudices in a way that I started to see, um, you know, people as concepts. That's kind of like a phrase that I think about a lot. Is just that people are not concepts Um, it's really easy just to categorize people and you know slap labels on them but just that each individual person is created by and loved by God and matters to him and should matter to us yeah I I think it's been a time period of God just revealing a lot of things to me that I wasn't seeing before and and also just like how to view these things I I don't believe that it's God's heart to guilt and shame us and I, I, I don't believe that anyone is expecting us as white people to be guilted and shamed i think that that's a common reaction from people going back to your your comment about self-preservation it's a defense mechanism to be like oh so you want me to apologize for things that i didn't even do i I see a lot of that when it's like no i mean as believers i think that we we can like recognize that if we actually approach things with humility i'm not going to apologize for something that i didn't do but i can apologize for." dismissing people's experiences that uh, I maybe tossed to the side in the past. And by maybe, I mean that I did when it comes to those types of things. Like I can apologize for not listening. I can apologize for not hearing people out. I can apologize for, you know, like friends of mine in my life who are black that I never put effort towards learning about their upbringing, their culture, because I wasn't sure if it was appropriate.
0: You know, this conversation about race can look one way in, you know, community people that don't identify as Christian, and is a good and important conversation, because there is a lot of really rough history, and a lot of deep truths about just the way that humans operate, the way that we naturally, in order to protect ourselves, will want to put somebody under us. But then the conversation looks different in communities of people who identify as Christian, because of some of the things that we talked about earlier, we know that there are these deeper truths what does it mean to know our core identities in christ and and i think in that what i've begun to realize is that this journey that you're on this journey that i'm on that god has invited us to step into is not simply about learning about racial injustice if that's all it was then we could just pick up a bunch of books i mean that's what a lot of people like us have done and that's something i have done is just get the information and then i can feel like i am woke because now yeah. i know the things that have happened but the truth is is that what we are realizing is god is trying to accomplish something bigger than the conveyance of information because instead of leading you to books he has led you to now seven conversations in which i'm assuming this is true that you by the end of it you realize it wasn't just that you learned things there is more that happened in that space and yeah. you know i think the same is true when we think about how the church is meant to engage these spaces. It's more than simply knowing things. It's, it's, it's understanding what it means to actually love God and love others and what it means to actually operate in a way that is taking up our cross daily. And, and so there's this robustness of what God is doing, but what that looks on any singular day <laughs> uh, can be hard to grasp. But I think what I'm seeing is I now, because I realize the robustness of how God works and, the, and, and what he's trying to accomplish or that he is trying to accomplish more, I can no longer settle for the bare minimum of I'll just post this thing or I'll just read this book because I know that there is more at play here than just information about race.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's one reason that I'm having these conversations is because I feel like there is all this kind of new information to me and not wanting it to just be like oh okay now I know some things that I didn't know before the reason that I'm calling it from here is because I don't really know where to go from here and I'm kind of exploring what that looks like um realizing that something needs to shift not really sure what that is um I have some some thoughts you know but nothing conclusive I feel like my understanding and empathy has changed a lot uh, there are conversations that me and my wife had um phew, couple months ago but just as far as like different people's circumstances and uh, you know minimum wage and just different types of opportunities uh, three months ago compared to today I look at completely completely different and a lot of that is because of educating myself I mean I'm just scratching the surface on things but like trying to I think like understanding is a weird thing there have been conversations between me and my wife like this, I feel like this is kind of a typical thing. She would say like, if I did what you did, you would have a problem with that. You know, like put yourself in my shoes, which is a fair thought, but there have been genuine times that I've reacted to that. And I've been like, you know, honestly, like if you did do what I did, like it it genuinely wouldn't bother me. I feel like the times that I've tried to put myself in other people's shoes, that can get you to a certain point. Um, It can get you to a point of huh, I would react maybe similarly to the way that they did, but the reality is I 'm still viewing it from my lens, right <laughs> like i 'm putting myself in their shoes from my shoes. <laughs> you know like there's no way that I can actually put myself in their head and in their shoes. I can only see their perspective from my perspective. i don 't know what it 's like to not know that I 'm Hungarian and Irish and Scottish. I don't know what it's like to just know that like my heritage is American because my African heritage was stripped away from me, mm. you know, generations ago. Yeah. I don't know what it's like to look like people who were property, who were enslaved, who were mistreated, who were beaten, who were, you know, and and still mistreated and looked down upon and dehumanized. I can't possibly understand and I think that that was kind of a thing initially was like all right I just want to kind of understand that was kind of my initial thought with learning but it really kind of coming to a point of like yeah I, I literally don't have the capacity to put myself in those shoes what I can do is listen and what I can do is acknowledge someone's experience and understand like the pervasive culture that we live in that every single day like uh, someone was bringing it up the other day that like uh it was something about their outward appearance that they were getting flack about, but it was something that they could change, <laughs> and the fact that like as a as a black man in America or a black woman in America, just that yeah you you that's something that you don't change, you know had a couple of friends who well one friend in particular recently that was having a really rough day um because of an experience he had in a store where he was just like, I feel like I don't I don't even want to like go outside anymore. Don't want to interact with people just because it's like, when's the next time going to happen where someone's going to see me as a threat and treat me like a threat just because I exist. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's maybe easy in a way when we can put ourselves in someone else's shoes and mm-hmm. think like, man, if that happened to me, like, yeah, like I, I can understand why they're upset, and, you know, but when we can't, like that makes it uh, a lot more difficult. And I think, just takes more compassion and takes more of a step, a stepping back and like really seeking the heart of Christ uh, in that situation and not just like rationalizing compassion. And, and also, you know, thinking about the generations and centuries of history that have just compounded on top of each other. Uh, me personally, like, again, that putting yourself in another's shoes, it's like me personally, it's like, I don't uh, condone rioting, you know, but considering all of the past, the present, and I'm sure the thing being like, all right, 1965, that being a time period of like, man, we're still dealing with this, you know? And then like 92 happens with LA and it's like, gosh, not again. And then several years back, gosh, not again. And then it's like 2020, gosh, not again. You know, like it's kind of, I can't imagine what that's like to feel like you're past something Mm -hmm. and then it be introduced again Um, one of my friends described it with uh, the George Floyd incident um, the thing that was so difficult for him was that he grew up with an understanding of like all right if you are around an officer you get pulled over like hands on your steering wheel be extra polite you know like ask if you can reach for your wallet like keep things very clear he said like basically there are all these rules you know rules that me as a white man have never had to consider ever. But he was saying like with George Floyd and other incidents, but he was just saying it was kind of like all of the rules are tossed out the window because you see someone that from the footage, it looks like they followed the rules that we were told our whole lives would keep us safe. And when those rules did not keep someone safe, it's like you, you kind of, you're you kind of left with how is it even worth it to be out and about uh, just that heightened sense of awareness of like, I can do everything right and still be the target.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, a big thing then what you're saying then is the incredible importance of humility. And that is very hard. Yeah. <laughs> that is actually a weakness in our culture. Our culture values boldness and strength and confidence and being the best and knowing the most. Yeah. That's what's valued and humility communicates the opposite. It is saying, I actually don't know everything. I am actually not the best. I actually want to put you above me. I think that's where we can hit walls with this because I think there are a lot of well-meaning people, and that includes you and I, (laughs) that have had moments where we have had an opportunity to love and hear someone but didn't because we might have said, well, I mean, I've been through rough stuff too. And, and like I was able to get by it or I didn't respond like that. There's so many ways that we could respond out of that self-preservation, out of those values that have been just ingrained into us of succeed, accomplish, be the best. And it takes, I mean, it takes God, but it takes a lot to actually break from that. And it costs a lot to actually humble yourself. And I think the biggest thing is that we as the church, We've got our goals all mixed up, to be honest. We've got our goals all mixed up. Something that I was thinking about today is a um, passage in Ephesians 6.12, which says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And, and I was thinking about it in a context of uh, dialogue around race. You know, as you described it, there is this tension that's been created it's to talk about race can be easily politicized you know the the default assumption that many are operating off of is if you start talking about race then that means that you are aligning yourself with the black lives matter movement which you know aligns itself left-leaning that means you're left-leaning and if i'm right-leaning then i you know i have to push against that or people saying well if that person's right-leaning then they probably have a lot of intrinsic racist stuff that they don't want to deal with, right? There's all these assumptions that come around attached to political parties and stances. The reality is, like we started off talking about, what we're actually talking about is a holy loving God who created all of us and he created us in his image and he called us to love him and to love his creation, and yet, it's a, the, the phrase that came, came about as I was talking to some folks today is this phrase, spirit of confusion. And it's something of my friend Dan and I have talked about a lot. How often we see, like we just step back from these really rough dialogues or situations and just see so much confusion. So many people saying so many different things, but everybody thinking that they know exactly what's true and what's right. But there's all this division and disconnect. And what happens in those spaces is our struggle begins against flesh and blood. My enemy is the person in the other political party. or My enemy is the person that thinks differently than I do. When in reality, the enemy is the enemy. (laughs) Like there's legit spiritual warfare happening all around. And it's like, actually, this is a analogy that came out. A friend, John was talking about it's. It's like, what happens is we kind of dig our own foxholes. And we are having these battles to protect our stances our opinions or, you know, our goals or ourselves. As he was talking, it gave me this picture of, you know, you have two foxholes and in between them, you have no man's land. No man's land is the place that no man goes because if you go, you're gonna get shot because everybody assumes that if anybody is in that space, they must be an enemy. And I feel like that's what's happening now. And especially around conversations around race is, People begin assuming there are enemies if they seem like they are not on their side. Yeah. And, and the analogy stretched out further to it's almost as though it's not two you know, differing bodies of people warring against each other. It's like they're on the same team. It's like it's allied forces have set up foxholes facing each other and are fighting each other when in reality, like the real enemy is just sitting back saying, go ahead and destroy yourselves. And I think this is the thing that frightens me with uh, the capital C church in America is we are all made in the image of God. We are all created to be brothers and sisters, and yet we are destroying each other, um, not just along race lines, but along political lines, along denominational lines, because we are wrestling against flesh and blood and not realizing there is something bigger at play.
1: One phrase that came to mind recently to me that, you know, like the whole agree to disagree, Um, I see a lot of uh, disagree to agree, where like people will actually, ultimately, maybe have the same heart, but are using different terms, and maybe reacting to a term like Black Lives Matter, uh, associating it with organization, Mm -hmm. and not seeing it as a declaration, where ultimately, they may um, view things the exact same way. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of like divisive terminology. Um, Not not that the terminology in itself is divisive, but it's just very loaded. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, dialogue is just difficult these days. Yeah, I have to stop myself a lot and be like, "All right, am I creating a place where dialogue can happen, or am I uh, kind of drawing lines in the sand that's preventing that?" And uh, a lot of the time, it is putting my foot in in my mouth. One thing that really is is a tough thing for me is like this allegiance to the left or the right right um or when uh, yeah it's it's really heartbreaking to me because i see a lot of fellow christians that will make blanket statements like the democrats are trying to destroy the country or like or like the christians that i know that are democrats that will say similar things about republicans Mm or it's like yeah i I have a tough time with that kind of thing um actually I, i tend to react pretty negatively when when things are so blanket stated you know like that but someone brought up recently that it's it's almost as though we have seen peacekeeping over peacemaking I, i think that peacemaking takes a lot of work keeping the peace can be an easy thing where it's just like all right you believe what you believe i believe what i believe like let's just leave it be that was a thing that my wife brought up was like that we both grew up to an extent in families that uh didn't really want to make waves Uh, maybe that didn't want us as kids to make waves Mm -hmm. um which is not to just like go along with things but more so like just kind of keep the peace with people so I, i think that's like an interesting uh line to toe as far as to what extent do we challenge ourselves and other believers um but not in a way that demeans or diminishes others. When you realize that actually like listening to people and seeing their point of view has brought you to a place of greater understanding. um, And then you are, you're experiencing people that are unwilling to do that. That can be a really challenging thing and not, not to see them as like any lesser, but more so like almost like, man, you're, you're missing out on seeing someone else as, an image bearer of God who has value, whose story matters. How can we be peacemakers, you know, Mm -hmm. um, in ways that uh, when there is tension, like we can, instead of trying to defend the thing that we said earlier, that was wrong, um, Mm -hmm. having, having the, the humility to accept that, like, ah, even though I said that like very firmly, it was stupid and it was wrong. And that's a tough thing to do. That's a very tough thing for me to do. But in moments of actually surrendering those things to God, like I feel like it is really apparent that you you don't have to stand by what you said, if what you said was wrong.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, kind of, it makes me think of you could flesh out that analogy of the foxholes even more to say, you know, let's say the two allied forces were fighting because they thought the solution was to do this and they thought the solution was to do this. And so they're fighting and, you know, all the while they can't actually achieve victory. And sometimes what if you have to lose that small battle <laughs> to say, all right, in order for us to collectively destroy the real enemy, I'm going to forego what I want right now in order for us to move forward. It's, it's, are we willing to take a loss um, for the sake of the greater good? And I think for like you and I ways that that is played out is am i willing to consider if there is any form of racism in me am i willing to actually honestly ask myself about white privilege am i willing because there are moments in our life where we would not do that because that's that would be <laughs> like destructive to our lives but what we've realized is one that self-preservation wasn't actually preserving anything and two there is actually a greater victory that can come if we are willing to die to uh, the things that need to die. The other thing you were talking about really stuck with me, this idea of what peace looks like. And it reminded me of um, the quote from Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham jail. And I'll just read a part of it. Uh, First, I must confess over the last few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. And I was sitting, I, I've sat with that concept of negative and positive peace a lot lately because on the Enneagram I am a nine, which is the peacemaker. And I've seen that part of me play out a lot, where I have an intrinsic desire to create peace. Now, in my immaturity, in my early years, and before I've pressed into growth, what that piece often looked like was that negative piece. I, I would achieve peace by trying to eliminate the tension, whether it meant I didn't engage the tension or I diffused the tension, or I gave up my own needs <laughs> to, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and so, and there are moments where those things can play out in positive ways, but as a practice, as, as, a, as the only way of creating peace, it's not actually authentic. The absence of tension doesn't actually mean there would be peace. And when I was doing my DTS, there was a time where we were praying for each other. And a few of our friends, Jeff and Tori, had some things come to their mind, uh, pictures that they felt like God was giving them to share with me. And there's a much longer story to all this, but I'll give the short blip, which was before that, I had prayed and asked God to if there was a verse he wanted to give me. And he gave me a verse that I didn't even know if it existed. Um, I didn't even know what it said. I wish I had my notebook here so I could read it. But the verse actually did exist. And it talked about, it used the phrase peace giver. And that really stood out to me because I'm used to peacemaker. And I was like, well, what's, what's the differentiation there? Well, then Jeff and Tori were sharing what they felt like God was saying. And they used that same phrase, peace giver. And then they talked about, they saw this picture of me uh, standing there with a very short sword and stepping into some hard places. And what I felt like God was saying is that whereas it would be more comfortable for me to create peace by saying nice things and being optimistic, sometimes the only way you can give peace comes through hard means. And that sword kind of represented the hard conversations or, or stepping into that tension but the fact that it was a short sword, I felt like what God was saying is that I could end up getting hurt. <laughs> I would likely get hurt because, you know, if you got a long sword, you got some distance. If you got a gun, you got some distance. But a short sword, you can get hurt as well. I felt like God calling me more and more into these spaces, like what you and I are talking about, engaging in conversations where it could end up really destroying perspectives that I didn't know I had. And, and that, would, that, that could hurt. Uh, or stepping into conversations with people who I knew would not agree with me and could end up saying some really hurtful things, which has happened. The thing that I'm learning from God is that in order for me to actually live into who he's made me to be, I've got to be willing to do it in the way that he created me to do it, which is stepping into conflict, being willing to be humble, being willing to sacrifice, being willing to die to self. Because what that is actually pushing up against is that intrinsic value and culture that we've all been raised into of of independence and self-preservation and brings me to the place where I'm actually moving more and more towards what, what Jesus said was the two most important things, to love God and love others. And so, you know, while I still have people close to me who do not like it when I am not optimistic and saying nice, you know, smooth over things. And I'm actually calling out stuff that I feel like God's nudging me to call out. I have to be willing to keep on going, even though I will get pushback because Jesus got a lot more pushback when he spoke truth. And that didn't stop him because he knew he was going to do what the father said to do. I know that one of the ways that you are pressing into this, as you mentioned, is by humbly listening, by positioning yourself to be someone that others can talk to, and by being very open and vulnerable and processing publicly what what you are learning. And so I was gonna ask a question around that, and you're welcome Mm -hmm. to speak to anything around that, but I think the question that is in my mind right now, (laughs) what are your thoughts on knowing that there is so much tension and division in the church right now, specifically around this topic, That is close to God's heart if we look at scripture. How do we move forward as a church? How do we become unified? Shoot, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) That's a big question, Paul. Mm -hmm. I I think
1: these kinds of conversations, uh, that conversation yesterday about uh, identity in Christ compared to identity in culture, like, I think those are maybe, I mean, who knows that, that that was just like a big thing on my heart that I think I'm going to pull into more conversations with people. But I I mean, I think that those types of things are possibly common in the church. Uh, People that don't want to align with black lives matter because of the organization, you know, maybe I'll take a step (laughs) a different direction. A lot of attitudes. And when I say attitudes of the church, I'm including myself in this. Yeah. Um, that I feel as though I'm continually unlearning, um, I think are uh, the product of having such a prevalent prosperity gospel culture Mm -hmm. um, where comfort is totally fine and dandy, where uh, pick up your cross and follow Jesus uh, kind of just means that you might need to give out of your riches that you've stored up for yourself, whether that be time or, or money. I don't know. There's a big part of me that I mean, I'm not for disunity in the body, but uh, I do think that there needs to be some continued challengings of those things that have just gone unchallenged for so long. And I think that 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 can be seen as divisive. When in reality, it's like, well, what did what did Jesus call us to? You know, like uh, I think that's a big thing is like identifying those things that are maybe more indicative of American Christian culture than the gospel of christ that we've been called to follow but i think like identifying those things and being like huh like that's not what we're called to what do we do with that and like letting those types of attitudes marinate so yeah it's it's a tough thing i I think that when when there's lack of humility on either side of the coin you know like it's very easy for me to forget that I was in a different mindset and judge people who are currently in that mindset. Mm-hmm. A whole uh, that term, curse of knowledge. You know, like once you have learned something, it's kind of impossible to put yourself in the shoes of someone who doesn't have that knowledge mm-hmm. um, and have compassion and empathy for them. So, I don't know. I, I'm I'm I feel like I'm hopeful this time period has opened up a lot of people's eyes to realize that the church has been complicit in a lot of like the term white supremacy i feel like has so much weight to it um white even when we talked earlier about cultural expressions of worship you know just that like uh, by and large it has been a supremacy of white style of worship and i that's not something that i've dove into really heavily but it's something that i'm starting to recognize there's a part of me that's just like man i I have a really tough time with this like prosperity gospel of like, God wants you to be comfortable and pursue the American dream and do your thing and, you know, occasionally step out um, in faith. I think that that's something that we've grown accustomed to uh, seeing as acceptable and justifiable. And uh, I don't know, I, I think when there is humility, just to recognize like, all right, that's not what we were called to as believers. Um, we, we weren't called to self-preserve like you brought up in a, in a way that we avoid any hardship at all costs. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like my, I'm really conflicted and having a tough time with seeing what that looks like for the the big C church mm-hmm. as a whole, just because I, I feel like there are a lot of attitudes by and large and in myself that need to die. And when we hang on to those attitudes it's almost like there's naturally going to be division. But in some ways, I think that's a good thing. Not the division, but like the tension. I guess kind of my concern is like that there will be a lot of that avoiding of that tension and just drawing lines and like seeing each other as enemies, even though (laughs) we are following Jesus. I I do think conversations though uh, are a really great way to go. And just hopefully trying to, mediate and facilitate conversations where we can actually respect and hear each other, even if we're at the end of the day, not on the same page.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, both of us, that's been our experience is that the things that have transformed us the most have been humble conversations with people that we loved, you know, people that we saw as image bearers and it goes back to what you said at the start you know we have a propensity of seeing people as concepts rather than as people as image bearers and then that doesn't just hit on race it's how people will categorize you know conservatives or liberals or social justice warriors or woke people or you know until we actually begin to see people as image bearers we're not going to treat them as image bearers if if God was in front of us in human form and pulled that person next to him, said, this is my child. Now go ahead and start your conversation. How might our conversation look different than if we're just on social media talking to that characterization or that concept? And so I think you're right. Like Just real authentic dialogue with image bearers has a lot of power where we're humble and we're respectful and we're actually listening. And the other thing that comes to my mind is, understanding what God is actually calling us to. If you look at scripture at moments when truth was communicated, it takes many different forms from two people that are close to each other. And one of them says to the other, Hey, you need to not do that. To on the far end of the spectrum, God calling down or sending a prophet to said, you better repent or you're going to be destroyed. You know, we see it with Jesus in times where he, you know, lovingly comes to the woman at the well and and just shares how he sees her and and speaks truth to her versus the moments where he's calling out to the Pharisees, "Woe to you!" <laughs> right. So, like, I think what happens is sometimes in these moments that are tense, many Christians can jump straight to "Woe to you!" <laughs> and automatically yeah. condemn and judge. I, and I've had many people in my lives who for whatever reason, believe themselves to be called by God, to be God's warrior. And, and I've had close friends actually say incredibly hurtful and destructive things that to this day believe that they were, as in their phrase, speaking the truth in love. Yeah. And it broke my heart because I'm like, you may have taken a form of the truth, but it wasn't the capital T truth. And it definitely wasn't in love and it actually caused destruction. I think yeah. there is a time and a place when God is saying this is this needs to be called out and sometimes he will say that through a specific person and then there is a time and a place where what God is trying to accomplish is going to look different and if we're not honestly and humbly engaging our conversations with God to discern that then we're going to go off of our gut reaction whether it is you know like someone who will just speak their mind and do it, or someone that will avoid conflict at all costs. And neither of those are necessarily what needs to happen. Sometimes the person who wants to tear it all down needs to humbly listen. And sometimes the person who wants to crawl into a corner needs to stand and speak. But I think it all comes down to the, the, I think the biggest thing is if we as the church are trying to do this in and of ourselves, we will absolutely lose. Yeah, we are not doing this through the power and authority and capacity and direction of God through the power of the spirit at work within us. Like we are going to lose, we are going to destroy each other. But if we humbly say, God, here I am, (laughs) send me, (laughs) I need you work through me. God can give us words that we never would have had. God can give us mm-hmm. opportunities, can give us favor that we have never have accomplished on our own and do things that are abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. Mm-hmm. You yeah, have a couple of thoughts on that, if that's cool. Do it. Um, just a,
1: I feel like more often than not when I'm really listening to God, uh, more often than not, the Holy Spirit tells me to shut my mouth.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's,
1: that's one thing um, to keep in mind is that You know, like it's oftentimes having an answer for somebody, even if we, even if we think we know what they need to hear, sometimes they're not ready to hear it. Or, I mean, I've had times that God has, I mean, as clearly as I know how has spoken to me and just said like, nope, that's, that's not for now. (laughs) And just like really trusting his sovereignty in the fact that like, I can't change a heart. And also, I mean, I think about the most impactful things that have been said to me by people that I respect a lot. And often, they were not things that, as soon as I heard them, I had this shift. Often, they were things that just kind of threw me off, and I didn't know what to think about them. And then, maybe even years down the line, it just stuck with me, and then it really settled and got used. So I think that's a, a thing to keep in mind: is like <laughs> we can't expect people to to immediately react in a way that there's a change. That's something that I, I'm in, incapable as not God. Uh, to do in the first place mm-hmm. so uh, I think like yeah when we're speaking in obedience and in love there's no reason to think that we will ever even see the outcome you know like if it's what God called us to do then like you do it and like the the obedient act was the thing that we were called to like seeing the fruit was not something that was promised us you yeah, know another thought that I had too is just like having that that humble heart to even like be able to examine the things that we had said um, in the past, um, like your example of people just like saying things that were not in love. Um, there, there have definitely been things for myself that, in hindsight, I was like, you know, something I still believe what I said to that person, but it was not done in love. Mm. And just like having the humility to to go back and, and apologize. And uh, there are people that right now, I'm um, even in this conversation, I'm realizing that I need to do that with.
0: Mm. Um, let's close up with this here's here's my final question pretend like you know you're running into somebody in an elevator you've got 30 seconds <laughs> um, if someone's listening to this now who is white is seeing everything that's happening and and they say to you josh I, I i want to engage this and i want to care but i'm i'm afraid right now what would you say to that person
1: Huh um i would say why are you asking me this on an elevator this <laughs> is a, a strange scenario um <laughs> let's see yeah i don't know um as far as like the fear thing i think i think whenever we're afraid of anything or engaging with something we have to get to where where is that fear coming from you know like is it fear of our reputation is it fear of our family like thinking that we're into something weird is it fear of what it would cost us as far as like our time you know like is it fear of uh changing our our mindset so yeah I mean I think when it comes to all those things getting to the root of where that fear comes from but um I I mean I I think if I were asked something like that honestly it would probably just share that I have been in that place you know I, I think that's maybe the the best way to go about it yeah not long ago um i thought that even like black lives matter i was focused on the organization and just like well i can't get behind that so i'm i think it's better just to like not get involved or i think part of maybe the fear for me was like like there's that that term the imposter syndrome you know like Mm -hmm. where like am i really meant to be here um that can be applied to anything. But I think with this, for me, feeling like I don't have the right to stand for people who have had an experience that I cannot relate to. I've, I felt like uh, almost like there is an invitation to be, you know, involved this time around. But yeah, I, I think when it comes to that kind of thing, the reality is, it is very terrifying to realize that the way that you've looked at our society, our value system, our criminal justice system, um, the way that we look at people has been so far off. I, I think the reality is like, it—it it is super frightening, <laughs> you
0: mm-hmm. know,
1: to like, shift your understanding and the way that you view things in a way that, I mean, will alter the way that you look at things from that point forward. Um, but that's not a bad thing. Um, a lot of people are in a similar spot of not knowing what it looks like. We're all in process and trying to figure things out, but we have a God who, who knows what that looks like. Yeah. I just think like leaning into what he has and trusting that he, he knows, you know, that's, that's the most reassuring thing.
0: then prophecy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is from Romans 12. Church, we are called to be a body together. And too often, we are ripping off our own limbs. We cannot move forward this way. We can know exactly what needs to happen, but if we have torn off our legs, we can't walk. We can know exactly what needs to be done, but if we have ripped off our hands, we cannot do it. Right now, you may have an idea of what is broken in this world and how to fix it. But until we recognize how we as a church are broken and that we need the love of a wise and powerful and loving god to fix us we're going to do more harm than good church there is a power at work within us that can legitimately do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine the worst problems that we can think of there is a power already at work within us that can address that but until we begin to function as the body of christ We cannot access that power in the ways that God wants to show it. Right now, you most likely have someone in your network, a fellow believer who you do not look unfavorably right now. Maybe you have been hurt by them or maybe you have hurt them. Maybe you are questioning their intelligence. Maybe you are questioning their motives. Right now, brothers and sisters in Christ, Are going up against brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is not fixing the brokenness, but perpetuating it. It is not healing the wounds, but deepening them. Church, we are called to unity. That begins both individually through introspection, but it also has to happen corporately as a body. Because honestly, we do not live as though Proverbs 3 5 and 6 is true trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will set your paths straight. We put a lot of stock in our understanding and we want to make our own paths, but there is a God who is thankfully so merciful and gracious and patient with us. And now, church, now is the time for us to turn back to him, to repent To release and to say, Here we are, send us. And then we will be able to love God and love others. God is at work around you right now, and He wants you to see it. But if you're not looking to Him, if you're looking to something else, no matter how good a thing it is, you're not gonna see it. So I want you to be able to ask the question, Where did you see God? But like I said in the intro, Right now, we got to ask, what could be keeping us from seeing God at work now? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of their music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?